I did this again. <laughs> the countdown, it was like five, four, you're live. <laughs> Here you go. Well, uh, on that note, <laughs> welcome everyone to another episode of Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon Ballard here with my amazing, stellar, fabulous co-host, Courtney <laughs> K. I, I don't, it's, it's Tuesday, but it feels like Monday and struggle is real I know and it's still gloomy here (laughs) I know I woke up this morning and I did my whole you know spiel with my kid getting him ready for school and then like open the front door to go walk to school and I was like oh shit it's raining fuck now I gotta drive (laughs) no (laughs) we're over it (laughs) I'm so over it so over it i know you guys have been listening to us complain about the weather for like the entirety of this podcast all our listeners are like we're over it (laughs) stop complaining you don't understand everyone it's really hard we're very spoiled send a sunshine you know and i was thinking about this today as i was driving and sitting in school traffic because i couldn't walk to school um that i have had trips in the past like six to eight months i went to london i went to chicago i went to san francisco and all of these places that normally have terrible weather it was like 75 and sunny the whole time i was there and then i come home to southern california and it's freaking raining all the time like what the hell rude those are amazing trips though Yes, I've been on some good trips lately. I feel very lucky. My bank account is like, <laughs> maybe pull back a little on that. <laughs> hey, you know, you only live YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't take it with you, right? So. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, how have you been, my friend? Good. I, before... Um... We logged on. I was telling Fallon of the joys of tween parenthood. <laughs> I'm scared. Which, it is a joy. It's just um, for someone who's very introverted, <laughs> it's, it's a practice in being extroverted. So yeah. every like weekday after, well, today's Tuesday, but usually Monday after the weekend, I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's time to not talk to anyone. <laughs> Um, and now today you have to talk to multiple people oh (laughs) different different though different like being responsible for little lives I always get so stressed out yeah you know but I love hosting kids at our house and um it you know makes my kids so happy but I also get so stressed like you know you're in charge and making sure they don't like nothing bad happens to them yeah so I'm always like like are you good? Is someone choking? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so stressful. <laughs> it's so funny because I think like when you're becoming a parent, there's definitely that like desire. Like I always had that, like, I want to be the sitcom parents where like every kid from the neighborhood, like comes over to our house and feels comfortable, like coming to us. And then I like look at the reality of that. And I'm like, wait, that means I'm going to have a bunch of kids in my house all the time. I don't want that. I only have one child for a reason because I don't want to have a bunch of kids in my house. I'm like, maybe I don't want to be the sitcom parents. Maybe I'll be the cranky old lady. straight. <laughs> I think we'll have different eras. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to be the sitcom parents for a while and then we'll be like, okay, get off our lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I love it. I uh, love it. I heard, um, I heard you told me five <laughs> minutes ago <laughs> that you saw a very good movie this weekend. I did. Actually, I saw two movies this weekend because so I my husband was out of town this past weekend and I was like telling him, I'm like, I feel like the single dad in this scenario because I was like planned out all the activities so that I wouldn't have to just be sitting at home with just my kid and like nothing to do. Um, so we saw Super Mario Brothers on Saturday, which Ooh. was... 
I'm shaking my head. It. Oh, I couldn't tell if it was a good shaking of the head or like. It is what it is. <laughs> my kid loved it. It was it fine. It is as expected. Yeah. But then I was like, okay, if we're going to go see Super Mario Brothers, then you have to come with me to see Little Mermaid. Uh, obviously. Obviously. Which I am glad that I made him go see because especially in the past, you know, couple pandemic years, like I haven't been as good about making him see quote unquote girl movies, you know, mm. and I like, like, no, you need to, you're seeing all of these too. Nice. Um, and I mean, I was that kid, I was obsessed with The Little Mermaid when I was a kid. Like, Me too. Full on, watched it every day for like a year. Like, I remember the little gle- green glitter watch that you got when you bought the video, the VHS, oh in like, you know, 1990 or <laughs> whenever it was. Like, full on absolute favorite movie. Check um, that marketing right there. <laughs> right? still remember Stuck it. with me. And I, w- I wish I had it. And I have actually had moments of like, going on ebay to look for them and i have not been able to find one that exists i don't think they survived because you know was it like plastic with glitter in the yeah it was like green glitter plastic and then the face of the watch had like a bubble over it and there was water inside and there was like a little aerial and flounder like floating around inside the watch it was amazing that is cool it was amazing um this also could totally be one of those things that I like hallucinated and like it did not actually exist, but I have such strong memories of it. I feel like it had to be a thing. Oh, it's um, a thing. It sounds like you have very specific detail. <laughs> if anybody else remembers this watch, please DM me so that yes. I know that I'm not alone. Um, so I, yeah, I, you know, I go into these live action remakes with like a lot of, trepidation at this point i will say like i love the cinderella the live action and i think Mm. that it is the reason for much of the downfall of the live actions because the cinderella is so good they thought oh let's just do that with all the movies and like none of them have really lived up to that but this one totally did and i Um. think the reason, I mean, obviously there's lots of reasons. First of all is Hallie Bailey is incredible. Like she started singing Part of Your World and I literally just started like sobbing. Like it was just like the moment she opened her mouth to sing, I was like, oh, yeah, that's so um, So she's incredible. But I think what Cinderella and what Little Mermaid do that the others don't is that they take the original film as inspiration, but they're, it's not like a shot-by-shot remake. Like, this is not like we're trying to duplicate. And what they do is that they give the princes a personality. Like, what do we know about Prince Eric from the animated movie? Like, he likes to sail, like that, and he has a dog. Like, that's, <laughs> that's his whole personality. And He's pretty helpless. It, like, yeah. Yeah. He was a himbo. He's just boring. Like, (laughs) nothing there. And um, I think that's, like, kind of a Disney thing until you get to, like, Tangled. The princes don't really have a personality. They're just kind of, like, there. Um, And so this one really took the chance to develop Eric's character and also really develop their relationship. So it's not just, like... Oh, they see each other and fall in love and it's immediate and who cares if they have nothing in common. Like, you know, it's just like that sort of like love at first sight thing is not the basis of their relationship. And it was just so nice to see like, you know, by getting to know Eric where it's like he's really obsessed with like exploring other places and he has like this whole room of like artifacts sorry these are like serious spoilers but whatever um you know he has this whole room of artifacts and it's like that's just like her cave of like stuff that she has like under the sea and it was just like it was so nice that they had these like commonalities and that their relationship could be more than just 
oh, I saw you and thought you were super hot. So let's get married. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think it did a really good job with that. And um, the guy that plays Eric, I can't even remember his name. I'm sorry, but he's just adorable. Um, And it was just really good. And there's new music that I really liked. Um, And the old music sounds really good. I mean, some of the like underwater CGI stuff is a little like, all right, whatever, but CGI. (laughs) Yeah. You know, as a whole, it's, it was so well done. It was like such a good, like step up from the animated movie. It wasn't taking anything away. It wasn't trying to be the animated movie. It's like really taking that as a foundation and like growing and adding to it. And I just, I loved it. I thought it was so good. Oh, I love that. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So yeah, I, my daughter saw it over the weekend with friends and um, I was like, okay, well, I hope that you are ready to see it again. <laughs> we're going. Did she like it? Oh, yeah. 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 But I, I do think it is different when you grow up with that movie, mm-hmm. right? I mean, she did in a way, but it was different when it first came out when we were young, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, There's I don't know. It was like sewing. Yes. It's so ingrained in my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this one did it proud. It's this one is everything that I wished Beauty and the Beast had been. Like I had such high hopes for the Beauty and the Beast live action that, and it just didn't, didn't get there. Um, For several reasons with that one. Yeah. Yeah. Even though the leads were, I thought the leads were great, but. Yeah. And I can't sing but yeah this is yeah you know what <laughs> yeah the guys were really good in that one <laughs> yeah so we'll give them that um but yeah so if you haven't seen it yet go see it i'm going to see it again it's good oh, i can't wait totally worth it okay um we have an amazing episode coming up with the fantastic Sarah Adler, who I just love her Mm -hmm. book. Mrs. Nash's ashes is already out and it's fantastic. Um, actually just last week. I just saw on Sarah's Instagram that it was like on the today show this morning. So yes, I think Jasmine, yeah. uh, Jasmine Gullery recommended it for a great summer read, which it is. Couldn't agree more. For sure. Um, And we also, if you missed it yesterday, we released a special episode um, about the Romance for Reproductive Justice auction, uh, which is being hosted by Meet Cute Bookshop, um, who obviously has a fantastic name. (laughs) Obviously, yes. (laughs) And that auction is opening up this weekend. There is an truly fantastic like we were blown away by the response we got we put out a call to all of the authors that have been guests on happy to meet cute and we're just like hey would anybody want to donate a signed book and like basically everyone responded and we have a package of 32 signed books that one person is gonna win it's gonna be so amazing I love it Fallon and I we were so emotional about the response. Yeah. We were like, oh my God. I cried. We're just so lucky like, to be a part of this. Com- yeah. We yeah. were crying. <laughs> yeah. We're so lucky to be a part of this amazing community that like, ah, uh, can I step up? Words? Yeah. You, you show up every time and we love it. Yes. And so we good. also have um, a giveaway for a live event that we're doing in July. Um, so two free tickets to that, which will be a weekend of um, panels and signings um, with so many uh, local LA authors. So um, look for that in the auction. And then also more information is coming actually this week on our page. Yeah. Last Check week. Check it out. By the time this releases. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. Make sure you're following us on Instagram so you don't ever miss any of those updates. And we will be right back with Sarah Adler. 
Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute. I am so excited that I get to introduce today's author to you because I am obsessed with her new book. So, so excited to introduce you all to Sarah Adler. Sarah Adler grew up in rural South Central Pennsylvania, the land of Civil War reenactors and snack food factories. She received both her BA in History and American Studies and MA in History from American University in Washington, D.C., where she focused on 19th and early 20th century U.S. culture. She currently lives in the far suburbs with her husband and daughter. When she isn't writing or yelling at Noodle, her very mischievous cat, to stop doing that right now or I swear to God, Sarah <laughs> enjoys crocheting, going for walks, exploring used bookstores, reading, and eating baked goods. Oh my gosh, I love all of that so much. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We are so excited to have you. Um, I read your book a few months ago now, and I like remember just reading those first couple chapters and being like in my mind, like, oh God, this book is going to be big because <laughs> it is just, your voice is so amazing. And I just, I feel like I've been holding in all of my shouting about this book for a long time. And so I'm very excited to uh, shout about it with all the people now. Thank you so much. I really appreciated you reading and blurbing. It's a very lovely blurb. People should buy it maybe just to read your blurb. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. I don't know uh, if you feel this way, Courtney, but I every time I go to blurb a book, I like sit down in my computer and I'm like, can't I just be like, oh my God, I love this book. It's so amazing. Go buy it. And I'm like, you have to like try to like put your word. Like I just I'm so like emotional and passionate about books. And then you try to like make it sound like professional. And I'm like, this sounds boring. I just want to scream about it instead. <laughs> Every time. Just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes, that should be a thing. <laughs> fire emoji, fire emoji. Courtney K. <laughs> so... Yes. What was I going to say? Just the fact that, like, I'm so excited for your book, Sarah. You don't even know. I Like, I can't even put it into words. So fire emoji, fire emoji. Ah, I'm so excited. <laughs> Please tell us all about it. Um, so Mrs. Nash's Ashes is the story of a woman on a mission to deliver three tablespoons of her elderly best friend's ashes to the woman she fell in love with during World War II. Um, but flights are canceled, and she's forced to road trip to Key West uh, with her ex's grad school rival, and shenanigans ensue. <laughs> Fucking hot. So Wait, did you say three tablespoons? Yes, it's precisely three tablespoons. <laughs> they measured it out with the tablespoon from the kitchen. <laughs> this isn't the spoiler, it's in the first paragraph. Oh, this is amazing. Holy shit. Um, okay, so I have to know where you got this idea and where this inspiration for this book came from. Yes, please. Um, yeah, so it was kind of the confluence um, of two separate, really different things. On one hand, I had been driving to DC one day um, and was listening to a free trial of Sirius XM. And there was this interview with a musician who was talking about when his mother died, he took her ashes with him on tour and would sprinkle a little bit at the end of every show on the stage he played on so that it was like she could live her dream as well kind of thing because she had always wanted to be a performer. And I couldn't stop thinking about this interview because like, it's a nice gesture, but like the logistics of that, what? <laughs> like, I couldn't stop thinking about like, who's cleaning this up like what are they are they just vacuuming or is he putting it back in it was like it was driving me kind of like batty like wondering about the details and so I was thinking about it a really weird amount um I'm overthinking about it now I'm sorry <laughs> maybe it will inspire a book so it'd be fine um and then at the same time uh I was thinking about a lot of classic movies, classic comedies, um, especially It Happened One Night from 1934 and thinking about what would that look like today, like a modern version of that sort of road trip. Um, 
And eventually, I think I was in the shower because that's where good ideas happen. Absolutely. Those two things kind of slammed together in my brain. And I went, oh, that's the premise of a book. Um, so I sat down in, I think it was in the Starbucks parking lot because it was the height of the pandemic. And I did a lot of writing in parking lots in my car and um, just let myself go. And Millie's voice came out and I was like, oh, okay, we can run with this. I love it. That is like a slightly horrifying story about that musician. I wish you all could have seen Courtney's face. <laughs> Sarah was telling us. <laughs> but that's a little bit... <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Conflicting. <laughs> yeah. But it sparked this amazing idea. So I guess we'll... Yeah. We'll accept it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your road to publication? Because this is your debut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have two shelved manuscripts. Um, I had my daughter in 2018. Um, wasn't expecting to become a stay-at-home mom, but did. And pretty soon, um, I had just finished, I mean, I had been working full time and I had also just finished a master's degree. So to go from like all of that to having an infant and being at home was like a really big adjustment for me. Um, just a huge identity shift. And so I was like, I need something outside of momming to like kind of figure out who I am now. And writing wound up being that thing for me. Um, I started reading a lot and then I was like, oh, well, writing seems to be the natural progression here. So um, my first manuscript was pretty bad, but it taught me a lot about writing, but also the whole process of querying agents, um, the whole publishing process in general, how it worked and how to navigate it. Um, and then my second one got a little bit closer and there were still, it was still not quite there. Um, so by the time I wrote Mrs. Nash's Ashes, I kind of felt like I had something to prove. Um, it was like, okay, I have learned so much from all these rejections. I think I'd racked up like 200 at that point. Like, I'm going to do all the things right this time. And it, my husband calls it my revenge book because mm -hmm. it's like, mm -hmm. not that I had any animosity or anything like towards any of the agents. They were all very nice um, and gave me a lot of great feedback, but just kind of a like, well, you want voice? This is going to have some voice. Like you want an actual plot? This is a plot. Like <laughs> all the feedback I'd gotten on those, on those past two. Um, and so I wrote the book and I queried agents and within a week I had an offer. Um, and then I had several more. And one of them was Taylor Haggerty at Root, which uh, they say you're not supposed to have dream agents, but she was and is mine. Um, and then we went on submission pretty soon after. Again, within a week, we had an offer. Um, wound up going to auction, selling, uh, selling in a six editor auction. And I wound up at Berkeley and it's been really wonderful. Damn, Amazing. Sarah. So happy for yeah. you. And it's no Thanks. surprise. I mean, the book is fantastic. The premise is fantastic. Um, like, I know they say in publishing, like, dreams, situations like that happen, um, like, with a stroke of luck. And maybe, like, maybe you hit the market at the right time. And But I feel like that kind of saying also, and, you know, I'm sure people have other opinions, but I feel like that kind of discounts all the incredibly hard work you put into it leading up to that point. And also what an incredible book it is. Like, it's not like it just like fell out there and it's like, Oh, good. It's a good luck time. There you go. No, like you put so much into it and that shows. And, you know, now, now here you are. Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a weird situation to be in because there is a lot of hard work um, behind it. Uh, but at the same time, it is a hefty amount of luck um, because mm -hmm. I have many, many talented friends who have equally good, if not better, uh, books who 
it took them longer to get an agent or it took them a really long time to get a publishing deal or didn't get one at all. And so it it is really one of those things where like I can be proud of the work I put in, but I'm also very intensely grateful because like I don't feel like it was guaranteed to work out that way. Um, and it was, I mean, it was definitely a whirlwind too. Uh, it was very much an adjustment of like, oh no, I went from like people rejecting my book to everyone wanting it. And that's a weird feeling too. The imposter syndrome hit really, really hard uh, for about a month there. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. It's so interesting too, because I feel like there's a lot of times that we look at stories like yours or um, even mine, like my, like lease went pretty fast. I got an agent pretty fast after pitch wars and you just like, look at them and you're like, Oh, it's like an overnight success. And you're like, well, yeah, maybe like this part, but (laughs) like that doesn't, you know, take into account all of the years and years of work beforehand that you put in. I don't know a single person who just like, writes a first amazing perfect book gets an agent sells it for billions of dollars like I don't think that that's actually a thing so it might look like this success comes really quick and easy but behind the scenes there's so much more that goes into that Mm -hmm. publishing (laughs) publishing Oh, publishing. Um, All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about craft because we just did our little quick conversation before we started recording. Um, We were kind of running through the outline today and you mentioned this that I hadn't even realized that you actually, so we're going to talk about uh, POV point of view or perspective and tense, which feel like are sometimes hotly debated like people sometimes have very strong feelings about like I will not read books in this POV or this tense or whatever I as a reader usually don't even notice um like I could not tell you the POV intense in probably like all of my favorite books I'm like I don't know um but you actually have a little bit of every you've got like a little bit of a, a mashup in uh, Mrs. Nash's Ashes. So can you tell us a little bit about like why you chose to go that way and sort of how that came about for you? Yeah. Um, so Mrs. Nash's Ashes is mostly first person present uh, from the perspective of Millie, the main character. Um, but then there's also bits and pieces of Mrs. Nash's story interspersed throughout. And those are third person past tense, um, more of like a traditional um, style. Um, I wanted there to be a clear difference in the voice there. Um, I, I don't really want to say too much more about that because, um, I, I think it's important, uh, to kind of learn why as you read. Um, but I think also, every story kind of has a voice that it wants to be told in or a perspective it wants to be told in and a tense it wants to be told in. And half the battle sometimes with a new project is figuring that out. Um, Like my, my second book, uh, I started it first person, then turned it to third, then turned it back to first. Then I think back to third. uh, And it's just kind of figuring it out as you go, what makes the most sense and why, Um, is like a really interesting craft thing to me. And I think some of my influence there is that I I don't read a lot of literary fiction, but when I do, it's kind of for craft inspiration. And a lot of my favorite literary fiction authors do really interesting things with um, POV. Um, Like um, Euphoria by Lily King, you find out like halfway through... I guess it's the first chapter that the end of the first chapter that you've actually been in first person all along uh, when you thought you were in third, it like ends with like, and then she sees me in the corner and it's like, what, who are you? Um, And so I've always been really interested in kind of playing around with those things and seeing what I can do with them in the context of a romance novel. Um, Because like romance like can be really inventive in craft too. It doesn't have to, there's no set, like you have to do it this way. Um, So I like having fun with it. 
uh, maybe too much fun because there was definitely a project that might not go anywhere where there were like four POVs and there were present things in the past tense and past things in the present tense. (laughs) And uh, maybe that was a little much, but uh, yeah, I find it really fun. And um, I, I think hopefully it works well when I do it. I love that. Um, Courtney, what are your books in? Um, First person present, but it's interesting. Like you were saying, Sarah, my past books that I wrote that like, we'll never see the light of day. um, I flipped all over the place with writing different um, POVs. And it was interesting because it really helped me hone my craft because I felt like when I was in third, I could um, get more of a perspective of like what was happening around the character <clears throat> and like it would help me bring in the setting or the atmosphere or the other characters what was going on around them and then in first um, person it was much easier to get into like character deeply into character um, and then moving forward with romance I think the voice there's also like a, uh, what is the word? I can't think of the exact word, but like a grammatical impact or a syntax impact. I don't know. I don't know. That the words have on you in a first person point of view because they're cut short. You don't have a lot of modifiers. You don't have a lot. Like it's like very sharp. And when Morgan's voice came to me for In the Event of Love, it was always first person point of view because that was her voice. Like it was very like in your face, sharp, very like intense. (laughs) And um, so I think a lot of very voicey books do tend to be in first point of view, especially if they're contemporary. Um, I've just sort of noticed that like a lot of contemporary romance books are in first uh, present. Um, But yeah, if you want sort of more like a whimsical or atmospheric setting or like a nod to the past or something like that a lot of people do tend to put it in third like it's really cool because each point of view can create a whole experience yeah it's interesting I mean I'm sure it exists um there are so many books out there that I have not read but you don't see a lot of like historical romance in first person Mm. um Mm -hmm. And especially not first person present. Um, and so it's it's very interesting kind of what's expected within the subgenres. Um, but also maybe that's because like it wouldn't sound right. I've never really tried it. Um, yeah. So I, I, I do really believe each story kind of has its own needs. And our job is to kind of figure out what those are. Yeah. Okay, it's fascinating listening to you guys talk about this. And um, as a former English teacher and person with a writing degree, I probably shouldn't be admitting this, but I don't even think about it. Like, I don't consider, I don't, and I can't remember the last time I wrote something that was not in first person present. I feel like that is just like, where I feel comfortable, mm-hmm. but actually, Courtney, listening to you talk about in third, being able to focus more on like the setting and the world building, I'm like, ooh, it might be fun as like a little exercise to like take some intro chapters and just like rewrite them in third and kind of see like what comes up like world building wise. Mm-hmm. That might be like an interesting little exercise, but I honestly do not even consider (laughs) I don't even think about it I just sit down and I go and uh I feel like that makes me a little bit of a slacker but (laughs) that's how your characters come to you yeah yeah I mean there's also so much of this process that sometimes is easier done by feel Mm -hmm. like I literally cannot do story beats to save my life like even if it is a finished piece of work I cannot tell you what those beats are um it does not work in my brain my brain cannot comprehend and so I had to feel my way through pacing um took you know three manuscripts to get there but I eventually did and I think 
some of the things just kind of we feel when they're right. And so you just feel it's right to do first. Yeah. And that's the stories you're telling. And that's super legit. Yeah. It's so interesting, too, because I know just from being on romance Twitter that some readers have like really intense reactions to first person present seems to get like the most sort of Twitter hate backlash. And I'm, it just like, it's so fascinating to me because as a reader, I'm like, why would you cut yourself off from all of these amazing books? Like, is it really that, I guess for some people, it's just, it really doesn't work for them. And I guess that that's okay. Um, I just don't get it. I don't get how it's, how it is so terrible as a reader that you're like, I'm just not even going to try to read this book. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, not every book is for everyone. That's just like a fact. Um, and sometimes it's because of the craft choices that the author made. And I think that's legitimate. Like, um, I, you know, there are some books that are like really good books that I just couldn't connect with because like the voice didn't connect with me. And I feel like, I'm not about to judge anyone for for any of that. It is kind of odd to me to make those sorts of blanket statements of like, I will not read anything that is this. Um, just because you never know when something might surprise you. But also like, life is short. So you do, especially like, romance is all about kind of reading what you want and what works for you and makes you happy. And unless you're like a professional reviewer who has to read certain things, like, you know, maybe do stick with what works. Like, I can respect that. <laughs> That's a good point. And I think, too, Weird. when it comes to first present, you have to be, like, uh, and not maybe not even consciously, but you have to be ready for that experience. Because um, the word I keep forgetting is, like, close first present. It's just, like, very intensely in the character's head. And I think that's what I personally tend to write, at least what I've written so far. Um, And sometimes I think that can be difficult for readers, especially if you're tackling like a harder subject or um, dealing with a character who has a lot of anxiety or some traumas that you're tackling. And sometimes it can just be like too close, you know, and maybe they need a little space and that's super valid. And so maybe at that point, that book isn't going to work, you know, and that's, that's fine. Um, but it is a, it is a different experience doing like first present close narrative, um, than it would be to create a little distance with third. Like, it's just, once you get into the craft of it all, it's really fascinating. And, um, I totally nerd out about it. Like, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. This is one of my favorite my favorite subjects to talk about with other writers because Mrs. Nash's Ashes, like I said, is mostly kind of a close first present. Um, And Millie is, I think one of the blurbers called the voice idiosyncratic. Um, I mean, she is very, for lack of better word, weird. Like she is very much herself um, without kind of worrying about how people perceive her. And I can see people not like vibing with her particular voice, like opening it and be like, nope, this isn't for me. And so I do think that first person present requires sort of an immediate buy-in with that character because you're like, okay, I'm Mm -hmm. going to be in this character's head for however many pages I need to either connect with them or want to connect with them. And, you know, maybe like that doesn't work for some people. Um, or they don't want to have to make that immediate buy-in in order to decide if they enjoy a book. And yeah, so there are there are pluses and minuses, I think, to doing it um, that close first as writers. But when it works, I feel like it really works for people. Absolutely. And I, those are the readers that I hope find my book. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. If you're one of those people that refuses to read first person present, <laughs> I'm over it. You do what you feel. <laughs> I won't be mad at you anymore. <laughs> it's all good. 
Um, no, I love that. I just, I really enjoy hearing different people's perspectives on elements of writing like that. Cause it's not something that we like talk about often, um, you know, cause we're mostly in our own little hobbit holes. And so it's nice to hear like what other people think about things like that, that I don't really think about. Yeah. I feel like this is what writing retreats should actually be. Like people just getting together and like discussing POV for three hours and then you have some like dinner. I don't know. <gasps> I've never been to a writing retreat. If you can tell. Let's do it. No. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Let's make that happen. Yeah. Cause I feel sounds like I could good. continue this topic for like two hours or at least minimum <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um but we won't I know <laughs> <laughs> yeah the listeners are probably like yeah this is not this is not that interesting to anybody like, other than the three of you people <laughs> I'm kidding I'm kidding um, but we have a really fun next topic so we will yes. move on. But it is called Acceptable Rom-Com Topics. That is the topic. And I'm very excited. What? So when you think of this, like what comes, what comes to your mind? What conversation or what discourse or what element? I think this is discourse that pops up mostly on Twitter. Um, although I don't spend a ton of time there these days. Um, every so often it just kind of reappears of like what is acceptable for a rom-com like is there a certain topic or theme that could appear in a rom-com that suddenly makes it not a rom-com anymore um and there are people who believe that anything that is remotely sad or depressing should not show up anywhere in something called a romantic comedy Mm. and i have to say i strongly disagree with that um because i mean if you look Film is different than books, like, that's the caveat, but one of the first movies that people kind of widely regard as a romantic comedy, um, uh, The Shop Around the Corner, I believe, it's like Jimmy Stewart, anyway. um, Classic. Yeah, um, is like, I mean, people, most people are not going to argue that that is not a rom-com, but a character tries to commit suicide, like... Mm -hmm. There is, like, a darker thing that happens in that. Um, And I think in a lot of romantic comedies in film and television, people don't have this discussion. Um, This is, like, not a problem for them in those forms of media in the way they are in rom-com books. So I think that's really interesting. Um, And, I mean, obviously, obviously I disagree because... My book is literally called Mrs. Nash's Ashes. And like the first line is about this woman who died. Um, And, you know, it is about things like grief. And I think that we have like a long history as people of using humor to cope with bigger, scarier topics. And I don't see why that shouldn't happen in a rom-com book. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you go first, Val. No, I was going to say, um, I feel like so much of the discourse, especially on Twitter around like the using of the word rom-com comes from a sort of like subset of romance landia that are very like traditional and like really look at romance as like, I think a lot of them lean like more towards historical rather than contemporary. And I think that as romance has sort of like grown and expanded over the past few years in particular, we see a lot of rom-com books that I think maybe 10 or 15 years ago would have possibly been labeled as women's fiction. And because they are more of that, like Bridget Jones kind of a feel, um, where there is a love story, it is present, it happens, it's there, but there's also, you know, a lot of character growth and a lot of like, a lot of the female character on her own, you know, going through emotional things or career things or, you know, whatever that case may be. And so I feel like a lot of times it's just this label that people kind of like look at and immediately judge and don't necessarily really understand 
like what goes into making a rom-com. Yeah, I think I think it is also just kind of a marketing issue sometimes. Um there are books that I think make more sense marketed as contemporary romance that wind up getting the rom-com label and whether that's from the publisher or influencers or lists or whatever wherever that's coming from or what assumptions are being made based on packaging or um I think that that has really burned a lot of readers where they're like I don't I don't trust any of these rom-coms anymore um because half the time they're very serious and sad and not funny at all um and I think that that's a legitimate issue to have uh with the marketing um you know, those are all still good books. But if you, if you open, I don't know, it's like opening a candy bar and expecting one type and it's like, you're expecting like a Snickers and it's filled with Twizzlers. You're like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, I also like Twizzlers, but I didn't know that's what I was having. And I'm kind of annoyed about it. Um, So I do think there's also that part of it where it's just like, are readers' expectations matching up with what is in the book when they open it? But I think that might even be a separate issue from the people who are like a rom-com shouldn't be sad at all. Um, Because you can have a very funny book that has something heavy in it. Um, I think that's really a thing that can happen. Um, I mean, hopefully my book is an example of that. People are welcome to disagree. They might say it doesn't work at all. I don't know. Um, But it is, it is a funny book. It is a lighthearted book, but people keep telling me they also cry a little and I'm sorry, uh, but like I didn't really <laughs> mean to do that to you, but I don't think that negates from how funny it is otherwise or makes it not a comedy. And something that it's like on my heart, but I don't have like the exact words for it yet but just like this big feeling in my chest that like so I will try my best to explain but as like we continue to get more and more diverse voices it is super important to be able to portray whatever those creators want or need to portray on the page why am I getting emotional? And then show that happy ending and like show, listen, this is real. And this is what people deal with. And all these people are worthy of this happy ending. And I think sometimes like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe it just goes back to the fact that maybe it's the not, not the right book for the reader at that time. And they weren't ready for something so heavy, but sometimes it just has to be heavy. There's no way around that. And like what we portray as authors is to show a real character with real issues and dealing with real things. And then they really, really, really deserve and get to live their happy ending. Like, because I think that's the hope that, like, as a romance author, we all want to give and, like, show that, like, real people are enough and you can go through this shit and you can have these issues and you are still so fucking worthy of love. And I think, like, at the core, that's what, at least in my experience, romance is, like, the romance genre. And a rom-com has the really unique opportunity to take that and put it in a comedic situation or add comedy or like make it into this safe space to explore and heal. And I just love that about rom-coms so, so, so much. And like, I don't know, even just like watching Hallmark movies. (laughs) Like, the lightest of light Hallmark movies, they're still dealing with, like, family issues. They're still dealing with things because that's life. And so you might have the whole spectrum of, like, maybe this rom-com deals with a heavier topic. Maybe this rom-com doesn't. But, like, you're still going to have the spectrum of dealing with character because that's what story is. 
So you can't, there's no way around that. Like if I just have a book that's completely one, it makes it one dimensional. And like, what nobody's going to want to read that story anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's a really good point, especially regarding the more diverse, vers- diverse voices um, within the genre, because like, you don't want, you, you want people to be able to write a, a story full of joy and humor. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily authentic to every lived experience that that happens divorced completely from the reality of things like oppression and hatred. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's like a weird thing to be like, yeah, you can tell this love story, but nothing bad can happen to anybody in the past or present. (laughs) Um, That's not like, like that's not reality. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know about everyone else, but in my family, humor was always our coping mechanism. Yes. I mean, I'm I'm working on a little essay right now about my grandmother, and uh, she had Parkinson's disease, which made her have really severe tremors. And her favorite thing was when you would ask her what's shaken so she could say, just me. Um, and it was just a way that we could kind of acknowledge the hard thing in the room without having to sit with it in a way that derailed our entire day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a great thing in books too, where humor can be used to process something like we, we all collectively have a lot to process right now. Um, And I'm hoping that that's sort of what the genre is moving towards over the next few years of like, here's some books that aren't necessarily about the thing we're all upset about, but like can maybe help you feel a little bit lighter. Yeah. And I think like for me at its most basic form, like a rom-com has to have something humorous about the setup. Mm -hmm. That's like a really blanket definition that you could take in so many directions. Like having to go on a road trip with a stranger is a comedic setup no matter what conversations they have what happens to them along the way I mean unless they're like getting stalked by a serial killer or something (laughs) like you know like that setup in itself is inherently comedic Mm -hmm. and so I think it's like we really just need to look at it like that because I think a lot of times we see like I've definitely seen tweets that are like I've read 10 rom-coms and I haven't laughed at any of them and it's like well I mean that's okay like your humor is subjective and not everybody's humor is going to like hit with everybody like I don't watch every stand-up comedian's performance and think it's like the most hilarious thing ever like you know there are certain comedians that I find funny and certain comedians that I don't and that's just kind of like how humor works but I think to kind of I think we need to maybe focus a little bit more on that like basic definition. Like, does this book have a love story? Does it have a happy ending? Is there a comedic setup? Then it's a rom-com and whatever else happens in the course of that story, it doesn't take away from the fact that like, that's the definition of what the genre is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think comparing it to comedians is, is a very good way to put it. Um, Like not everyone's voice is going to be funny to everyone not everyone's jokes or banter is going to work for everyone um I try really hard to not look at reviews but I've definitely seen one or two that say that my humor is really cringe um which like yeah maybe um (laughs) I saw this I'm I want to like completely I'm on a tangent now but like um I saw this Instagram post it was like artwork that somebody made that was like a frog running pantsless which I guess frogs are always pantsless but (laughs) it was like a frog that was like very clearly pantsless um like running through a field and it said like I may be cringe but I am free and I was like yes that's how I that's how I feel um like I am happy I leaned into that voice, even if it's not going to work for everybody, because it is working for some people. And um, that's every book. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I guess we've just looped back around to not every book is for everybody and readers can like what they like and we'll keep doing our thing and Mm -hmm. hope that we find our readers. 
Yeah, just don't tag us in your bad reviews. <laughs> Please do not do that. I, I will cry. Please don't. But also, welcome. Like, I feel like I should give you a patch for a vest or something because if you haven't <laughs> been called cringe, then I don't know. Like, you haven't been writing. <laughs> so welcome to the club. Thank you. I love this club. Yeah. <laughs> but I think... We are... Oh, go ahead, Sarah. No, I was just going to say, like, it's a club where you're, like, welcome to be your truest self. And I think that's really lovely. I love it. I love it. And, like, that goes both ways, I think, for writers and readers. Like, if it's not, if it's not the book, and I say this as a writer and a reader, you know, like, if it's not the book, then it's not the book. (laughs) But, like, as a writer, I hope they had a hell of an amazing time writing it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think... Being a writer gives you so much respect for every single book that's out there um, because you you just know the work that went into it. Um, You know, like all of the long hours and care and not only from the author, but like all of the people at their publisher, um, if it's traditionally published, that also had a hand in making it happen. And it's just like each book is like a wow, like this a village made this. This is really cool. Yeah. And so like, there's something, there's something to love in every book, even if it's just the fact that it exists and somebody put their heart into it. I um, saw this one, like clip of Harry Styles, Harry, um, and he said something so profound that I'm royally gonna mess up. But he said something like, I could make a song and put it out there. And someone could say it's the best song in the whole world. And someone could say it's the worst song in the whole world. And neither are true. So I just keep creating what is good for me. <laughs> that's all That's all you can do. That's literally all you can do. And you're doing yeah. an amazing job. All of us are doing amazing. <laughs> but like, Just like collectively, collectively, all the romance authors, good job. Yes. <laughs> you the the you're doing amazing sweetie gift yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes all right um okay i'm super excited to dive into this next topic because you put this on your info sheet and i had never heard of it before um but you are a big fan of the dungeons and dragons i want to get this right dimension 20 yeah right? yeah okay. it's so um the old I, I, I don't think it's defunct. I think it's still around. But College Humor, the old website, um, they wound up creating sort of like a TV channel that's like subscript. It's a subscription service. And um, I found it through my husband. Like he started watching clips of it on YouTube or something. And their like longest running show, I guess, is just a bunch of basically like improv comedians playing dungeons and dragons um that's awesome and it's called it's called dimension 20 um there's several seasons of it um each one is like many hours long and uh that's the way that my husband and i have been spending like most of our free time for the past i don't even know how many months it's just watching like catching trying to catch up to the current season um i think we're on season like four or five right now and, um, yeah, it's been really interesting for me because, like, I've never had really any interest in Dungeons and Dragons or, like, any opportunity to explore that. And I still don't think I would really be good at playing it. But something about, like, watching it is so cool because it's, it's like, live storytelling mm-hmm. where, like, what is going to happen is dictated by a dice roll. And just the talent of everyone involved is really impressive and... I just, I also just feel like I like understand so much more about kind of nerd culture now. Um, mm-hmm. I get so many more references, like people's t-shirts and stuff out and about. I'm like, oh, I know what that means now. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun and kind of like a not where I expected my attention to be right now. Uh, I didn't expect to be spending like 20 hours watching Dungeons and Dragons stuff, but I, I do think it's a really interesting thing from a storytelling perspective. I feel like there has to be a rom-com in there somewhere. I, I, 
I know several people, I don't remember who offhand, but I do know that there are many people working on Dungeons and Dragons rom-coms, some of them YA, some of them adult. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's like it's rife for mining for plot. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I love it. So during the uh height of quarantine, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons with my very good author friends, um, Renee Reynolds and Jenny L. Howe. <laughs> and, you know, the games go on for like years, some of them. So I think our game, <clears throat> sorry, not our game, our, um, damn it, my brain keeps going blank. <laughs> it starts with the C. What the heck is the word? Okay. Campaign. Huh? Campaign. Thank you. Campaign. Okay. It went on for about a year. It was incredible. I am terrible at playing D&D, but I just love it. Like, I love it so much. And everybody else gets, like, I love watching them be funny and exciting and get fully into their character. Um, I'm terrible at, like, acting, so I'm, like, not great, but I have so much fun. And we did a shorter campaign um, that Renee led, and they created this entire world. Um, and... <laughs> It was like Battle of the Bands, and at the end, we found, like, Jimmy Buffett in Margaritaville. It was fucking incredible, and the whole thing was amazing. Like, I just, I'm obsessed with Dungeons and & Dragons, and um, I'll try to find it, but there was this uh, one sort of Dungeons & Dragons show that was going around. Maybe it was, like, an internet show. Um, kind of similar to what you were saying, but it was more on the fantasy side, maybe. And it was called like a court of fae. Like it was totally like a title. Oh, like a- that's. I think that's a season of D twenty. Is it okay? Okay. So yeah, it's like a court of fae and I haven't fae and flowers. I haven't gotten there yet. It's a, yeah. it's like a future season. But yeah, I think you're talking about D20. Okay, okay. So the same thing. And I've been meaning to watch it. Yeah, I think it is the same thing. And um, because I know it was like an online thing required a subscription. But um, yeah, so I'm, I definitely need to watch it. And I will report back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should. I also, most of the campaigns are led by um, Brennan Lee Mulligan and he's just like so talented I have like a total confidence crush on him he like does really good voice work and like just the complexity of the worlds he's creating and the way that he can go with the flow and like create such an interesting story so quickly like maybe that's like about 99% of the reason I watch it to be honest but um yeah, so like anyone who watches it should slide into my DMs and talk to me about it because especially if Brennan is also like the main reason you're into it. Um but all of the people who play it are super talented and I just it's such a different type of talent than anything I possess that I'm mm. just in awe of them doing it. I love it. Dungeons and Dragons is literally like the one nerdy thing I've like never gotten into and I don't know why. But I did go see the movie, and I can't believe neither of you have seen it. I know. It's amazing. Um, I, like, told my husband I was going to go see it, and he's like, you're you're going to see that? And I'm like, well, yeah, Chris Pine is in it. So, yeah, obviously, <laughs> I'm going to go see it. Like, duh. Um, also, Reggae John Page is in it. So, yeah, double duh. Um, but it is so good. Like, I loved every second of it I thought it was just like hilarious and kick-ass and so well written and so fun and I was like oh man do I have to play Dungeons and Dragons now yes you do you 100% do you need to do it or you could just watch it you could just watch other people play it like I do I might do that that actually sounds easier (laughs) and something I can (laughs) handle (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. Okay. Yeah, but if you um, find you get pretty dice, see? Oh, that is true. That see? is something I am very sad that I don't have is pretty dice. I mean, nice. most of the time we roll the dice like on the computer, but I own these and that's what matters. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they are not used and my cat plays with them on the floor. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. All right. Um, well, before we wrap up, can you tell us a little bit about what is coming up next for you, Sarah? Um, yeah, I can't say too, too much. Um, but my second book is tentatively scheduled for spring 2024. Um, and it is a enemies to lovers rom-com featuring a fake spirit medium, a hot farmer and a ghost. <gasps> Obsessed already. Oh my. Yeah. It started as a Twitter joke and then became an actual book. Um, and I've seen the cover and it is amazing. Um, I'm really excited. Yeah. They're like really hustling, uh, with some of this for some reason this time. Um, It's really exciting. Um, and the cover process was like super easy this time around because like we saw it and we're like, yep, that we're done. Perfect. Uh, like pretty much first time. Uh, they it. got it perfect. So I'm really excited to share more about it, hopefully in a few months. So exciting. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I got chills. So we're going to need to have you back on the podcast. Um, and as soon as you have like, you know, I'm just playing myself there for like an e-arc or whatever. <laughs> Please send it to me. <laughs> that sounds freaking incredible. Like everything I'm obsessed with. I cannot wait. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I think it's a really different vibe than Mrs. Nash's Ashes and um I hope that people like it. Um but like there is a really cute goat on the cover and I've gotten to do a lot of research trips to go cuddle baby goats what? and so like it's a good time. Have you done goat yoga? I have not. Um I I've wanted to but I can never quite find like the right time to go but the babies are like very willing to climb on you (laughs) while you're just sitting there so I feel like I've done goat yoga even if not officially that's fair so cute (sighs) all right um please tell our listeners where they can find you on the interwebs yeah. Um, so my website, sarahadlerwrites.com, always has probably the most up-to-date information. Um, Twitter, I'm sometimes there, uh, at Sarah A. Adler. Um, Instagram, Sarah Adler Writes. And then, like, you can follow me on Goodreads and all that good stuff, too. Yay! And uh, Mrs. Nash's Ashes is out now. Go get it. You will not be disappointed um also like an amazing beach read like Mm -hmm. definitely a good one for your summer vacations that you all have coming up um so go check it out and sarah thank you so much for being here thank you so much this was so much fun sarah happy debut month happy debut year you're incredible thank you so much thank you all right everyone thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore k k a e on all social media platforms and you can find me fallon ballard at fallon ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media if you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode you can find links in the show notes and a special shout out to zachary kibby and matt ballard for our amazing theme song thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time